Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me uh, Jonathan Spears, who is a top producer with Compass in the Emerald Coast of Florida. So, uh, Jonathan, how are you today? John, I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, it's it's uh, ironic. I recently read about you in the uh, Wall Street Journal, and they were saying that uh, people are giving up the Greek islands and going to Alice Beach. But before we talk about that, let's talk about you. Where did you grow up? Yeah, it's funny. I'm a I'm a native here in Northwest Florida. And so for most people, when they think of Florida, they may think of Miami or Naples, Palm Beach. But we really are uh, in a gem of an area, uh, actually a different time zone than South Florida, located in the northwest corner of the state. And so I was born and raised in this area and, and love it. Great. Now, I, I think you were born in Destin. Has that changed much uh, since you were a kid? I mean, the the beaches are still sugary white sands. It's about squeaks when you walk on them, and that water's emerald green. That has not changed. But I think what's changed the most since I was a little kid is the fact that the market itself has seen an exponential growth in travelers. And so we've basically built uh, an economy around short-term vacation rentals and Destin specifically. And then along an area called 30A, which we've dubbed the Hamptons of the South, uh, we've created very affluent communities that, um, you know, cater to uh, a, a more luxury style of traveler. Awesome. That is, that is awesome. Um, speaking of being a kid, you were 19 when you graduated from college. But you know what I find most remarkable about you is that you went right into real estate. What prompted you to do that, to go into real estate right out of college? That's right. You know, what's interesting is I started college at the age of 14 and I was very, very entrepreneurial. Uh, and so studying business, I was looking at different uh, Ivy League schools to potentially go to or to go to a, a business program and study finance um, over in the UK. And during this time, uh, the world just about shut down. Uh, it was 2009, 2010, and mm. we were in the middle of the Great Recession. And so my entrepreneurial self saw an opportunity uh, in real estate sales, and that's what I gravitated towards. That, that You know, it's... Uh... So many people, uh, it seems like real estate is their second, third, or even fourth career. Uh, and you made it your first career, which I find fascinating that you did that. Um, what kind of advice would you give uh, to someone that's just uh, graduating from college uh, now? Well, you know, when I was in college, I'd have presenters that would come in, um, especially like to our accounting classes, and they'd pitch kind of their opportunity uh, for postgrads in an accounting program. And when I heard the the salaries, I think the starting salary was like $40,000. Um, it, it, it motivated me to find an outlet that had no glass ceiling. And so being a lifelong student in general, uh, the advice that I would give to somebody is 
that you need to you need to gravitate for what you're gravitate towards what you're passionate about and for me i was really passionate about solving problems and when i looked at real estate uh and i'm sure that anybody listening can attest there is no end to the problems that we could solve and as i started to grow my business i realized that you know as you start solving problems for um you know for people you create these lifelong relationships and ultimately raving fans. And that's really, I think, the core of business in general is relationships and, you know, maintaining them and growing them. That's so true. Uh, you know, I was uh, just thinking about that, that uh, a lot of my good friends were former clients. Uh, I don't know if that happened to you. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I studied on my 18th birthday to get my real estate license. That was my big to do that day. And I remember it like it was yesterday and I was licensed about a month later. So I got wow. it, you know, very quickly. And to this day, some of the best people in my life are folks that I met from, you know, early in my career. And, uh, you know, I'd say we've, we had grown together. And so I'm so thankful for those relationships I've been able to make along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand perfectly. So uh, let's talk about why people are giving up the Greek islands and going to Alice Beach. But before we talk about that, can you give us a history of Alice Beach? Yeah, absolutely. So Alice Beach is one of the new urbanism communities uh, here along a 28-mile stretch of beach that we call 30A. It's actually County Highway 30A. And 30A's epicenter is a small town called Seaside. Seaside was made famous uh, in the movie The Truman Show as the backdrop of Utopia, right? It was the perfect seaside town. Um, I that, and right? yeah, it was made famous, um, made famous in that film. And what's amazing is 30A is home to multiple multiple new urbanism villages of source, these small towns that were not only thoughtfully planned, but thoughtfully developed. And Alice Beach is the pinnacle of that type of town planning, both from the unique architectural elements that the Wall Street Journal compared to Greek islands. Um, the homes in Alice are uh, all white, so there's a uniformity to it. Um, they're very stoic and almost museum-like with the parapet walls and kind of the unique architectural elements. But the one thing that makes Alice so special and really 30A in general so special is its backdrop of the naturalistic surroundings that are the Gulf of Mexico. And so we've got this beautiful beach, um, incredible hospitality, and you pair that with really great architecture you've got something special that, you know, doesn't really exist around the U S. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things when you're talking about the architecture is that uh, uh, a lot of the homes are built around courtyards. Is that because of um, the cooling effect of a courtyard or why was that done? Just curious. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you think about, if you guys have ever been to the Greek islands, um, the Greek islands were designed around wind. Uh, a lot of the architectural elements were um, were internal versus external because it's so windy in, in the kai clades. And so 
the developers of Alice Beach looked to to be inspired by Bermuda and some of the, you know, Dutch colonial homes in Bermuda. And, you know, they looked to the Greek islands for for kind of that more of that privacy feel um, and exclusivity that you get with putting the entertaining space in the heart of the home like a courtyard. Um, and then the whitewashed architecture is is really birthed out of the idea of reflecting heat. And so the white walls, um, you know, they mitigate all of the, the Florida sunshine that we get and they really create a, a you know, ambient atmosphere. Sounds great. I can't wait to come down and take a look. Um, but a lot of the home designs have to be pre-approved, right? Uh, and wh- who they does do. that and why? You know, so the town architects of Alice, um, have been very present through the inception and then development of the community. It's it's amazing because our market is relatively young when you think of uh, luxury markets in Florida. And it's why I think your, your listeners are really going to want to understand um, the panhandle because when you think of a, a Palm Beach that was founded almost 120 plus years ago, you know, our market was really the early 2000s. And so Alice's inception was in 2004, 2005. And so over the last, you know, call it two decades, uh, has really found its stride and found its place in the market. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're into the summer season. How was your winter rental season? this year as compared to say last year? You know, it's so fascinating that you asked that because, you know, most uh, New Yorkers would flock down to South Florida uh, during the winter. Um, and that's when they, they get their primary uh, season, as you would say. But for us, our season is generally summer. And so to to many people's delight, the winter is is relatively low density and not not super crowded. And so if Anybody who's listening is looking for a place to go that has a beautiful beach and very mild temperatures. Uh, Northwest Florida would be the place to be in the winter simply because our primary season is summer. That, that is that because of the uh, the fishing? Like uh... it's you know it's really all the above, right? It's probably a mixture of the fact that we're a drive to destination for about a third of the U.S. A third of the U.S. can drive to our market within, you know, a day's time. And it makes it very attractive, especially for our primary feeder markets, which are Dallas, Nashville, Atlanta, Birmingham, um, most of the major southeastern hubs. Um, But, you know, we also have kind of the desirability in the summer because we're a family destination. And so kids are out of school in the summer. So there's a lot more time for families to come down and spend their holiday on the beaches of 30A. You know, I find it mind boggling that, uh, you know, because you think of Florida in the summertime and I had lived in Florida actually in in the summer. I had a couple of properties there. And it's it's so. People think, oh, you're going to be sweating all the time. That's not necessarily the case. And I find that that you know your season's really beginning. It's what you're saying. That's right. I mean, you think about South Florida. If I I was in Palm Beach and Jupiter last week, when I walked out on the beach, um, specifically behind the breakers, my feet were burning on the sand, and you know the water was you know was a little mucky. Our beach is crystal white. I mean, it's powdery. It looks like sugar. 
Um, I've got a second home out in Colorado and I, I often look at the beach and it plays tricks on your eyes because it looks like snow. And part of that's because of the, the deposits from the Appalachian Mountains or quartz deposits through the Mississippi River that really created the Gulf Coast. And then our water is almost always a crystal clear emerald green. So it's just a it's a year round, um, you know, enjoyment, whether it's hot outside or not, you're not burning up on the beach. Wow. Where do you see a lot of your buyers coming from? You know, it used to be those southeastern hubs, Dallas, Nashville, Atlanta was kind of our trifecta. And post-COVID, we really have seen a massive influx um, from all over the United States. Uh, the West Coast, we've seen lots of California, whether it be San Francisco, Bay Area or Los Angeles. Um, and we also have seen a massive influx from Chicago and then some from New York as well. Uh, so New York, Connecticut has been a great, um, I wouldn't say feeder market per se, but it's been a great opportunity for us to educate folks who have felt like maybe South Florida's gotten a little too crowded. What makes Northwest Florida so special is there are multiple um, state parks and federal reserves that minimize density as you drive up and down the beach. So if you were driving up and down Palm Beach or going down towards Delray and Boca, you see quite a bit of density both um, on the intercoastal and then also on the mainland of Florida. What makes 38 so special is you drive up and down the beach and you have swaths of area that, that has zero development. And it's been basically been able to retain its beauty and its naturalistic surrounding. That sounds, it sounds exquisite. Um, we've got maybe 10 more seconds. Is it true that the prices have risen 25% as compared to last year? You know, it is. And I think scarcity plays into that. You know, we were fortunate to sell one of the most expensive lots, uh, single single family lots along 30A in Alice Beach last year. And that closed for $12 million. And that piece of wow. property is 50 feet wide by 100 foot deep. So it's a amazing. pretty tight that's, space. Right. But that's amazing. Um, how could somebody get in touch with you, uh, Jonathan? They had more questions. Um, I would love for um, for any listeners to reach out and learn more about the Emerald Coast through our social media channels. So you can see the lifestyle that we get to live here. Um, Instagram is our most active. I'd say at Jonathan M is in Michael Spears, S-P-E-A-R-S. -E or you can follow our team page at Spears Group, S-P-E-A-R-S. Great. Jonathan Spears of Compass, it's been such a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life. And please stay right where you are, since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And we're going to the big sky country of Montana to talk with Debbie Maui, who is one of the top producers in Whitefish, Montana. Hi, Debbie. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? You know, I was reading your bio and, and uh, you've been doing real estate for 30 plus years. Did you start when you were 10? Uh, thanks so much. I'll take that as a compliment. No, yes. I pretty much right. Uh, while I was in college, I started in real estate. In college, you started in real estate. That's interesting. What prompted you to do that? 
Um, I actually needed a job. So someone said, why don't you go rent apartments? So the first four years of my career, I rented apartments with a big apartment locator in Chicago. And uh, it really gave me the opportunity to learn the basics of sales. You'd work with anywhere from five to 10 people a day. So you had to learn quite quickly what, uh, you know, what they were looking for about them and what would be, you know, the best, you know, apartment to suit their needs. What a great uh, uh, tutorship, you know, that you had. That's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I know. Uh, before we talk about whitefish, you know, uh, how did you get to Chicago? Is that from school or did you grow up in Chicago? I, I grew up just south of Chicago and moved downtown when I was 18, 19. And, uh, yep, lived there all the way until, uh, you know, split my time between Chicago and Whitefish. So uh, let's talk, you know, you, you have your license in Chicago and also your license in uh, Montana or Whitefish. And uh, I start I thought we'd start off by talking about Chicago. Um, so my first question is, how do you sell in Chicago and also in Whitefish since they're not really suburbs? Right. Exactly. So it actually started probably about 13, 14 years ago. I knew I wanted to be in Whitefish at some point. And so I um, rent a place for a month, two, three, six months at a time and kind of build up on that over time and learn the market in Whitefish while maintaining, you know, my book of business in Chicago, which, you know, at that point was over 20 years of business. And um, I developed a team there and I kind of laugh and say I worked remotely before it was popular with COVID. And uh, so I'd have my team kind of the boots on the ground and, you know, go back and forth um, need, when need be. So I could still, you know, stay on top of the market. But, you know, physically, the physical part of a realtor's job, you know, the core part of it is is pretty minimal, believe it or not. So much is done research wise and communication and just, you know, keeping all the ducks in a row. So as far as, you know, inspections, that sort of thing, I could have my team do that. As far as showing with clients, it, you know, I schedule that around when I'm in town or help te- my you know team members or my business partner help out with that. And, you know, same with listings. So. So it's actually working. Yeah. And during COVID, you have to remember, no one was doing anything physically in person or very, very limited. So, um, you know, it's there's a way to do it. It's just quite a, you know, there's a balance to it. Understood. Um, I'm curious about Chicago. So how is the sales market there since uh, now there are a lot of people working at home? You know, it all it depends on the segment of the market. There's different areas that are doing better than others. Um, you know, we're still, you know, gangbusters, me and my partner are still gangbusters. You know, we do quite a bit on the North side, Lincoln park, you know, river North, um, gold coast. So that is the high rises downtown are a little bit more of a challenge for sure. Well, and the summer. downtown, I'm just, is, um, the commercial market, are there offices, a lot of vacant offices like in New York city? You know, I'm not super in tune with the commercial side, but, you know, I do think there's some challenges definitely with um, commercial space for sure, especially downtown. Well, maybe um, uh, a lot of those office buildings will become apartments like they're doing in the, the city. They're converting some of that vacant office space into apartments. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. 
Uh, I recently read that uh, across the U.S., previously owned homes have declined from a year earlier by the most in more than 11 years. Is that the case in Chicago? Um, I think it's inventory in general is probably where that um, statistic is most affected. Or Yeah. Get a house in the suburbs, for sure. And it's, it's right. still limited downtown. So you do also outside areas of Chicago, not just the uh, downtown Chicago proper. Yeah, we'll do. It depends. Again, it's probably more the adjacent suburbs. And then if we can't help somebody, we've got, you know, you know, with Jamison, we have offices in the suburbs. So we have a, a whole network of colleagues that we can tap into to assist our clients. So and, you know, with friends, so many friends move to the suburbs. So you kind of have a little bit of a gauge on that market. Um. Where are the uh, buyers coming from for, for uh, Chicago? Gosh, you know, um, I'll, believe it or not, a lot of this, you know, suburban people want a place downtown. Uh, so especially with the high rise market, you know, I do a lot in a particular high rise downtown and I get a lot of people from the suburbs who want an in-town place because their kids are down there. And then, you know, kind of it's a, kind of a spattering as far as the rest of it goes. Um, it's a lot of relocation. We've got um, actually one right now coming from Mexico City. Mexico City. That's a home. Oh, OK. Um, what's the rental market like there? Very tight as well. Very, very tight. Wow. Mm -hmm. Has the uh, rents uh, risen? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Chicago is actually one of the markets where um, it's more affordable actually to buy than it is to rent. Hmm. Um, have you seen Chicago change since it was, uh, the Chicago that Frank Sinatra used to sing about? <laughs> oh gosh. You like that? Yeah. Right. Um, so the Al Capone days, um, and, uh, yes, the, yes, that's so funny. It's, um, you know, it, it definitely has changed. It's grown. It's had its challenges for sure. And I think, you know, Everybody would like to, you know, see things um, be addressed. And uh, I mean, it's still such a great city. There's so many, you know, so much the culture and the restaurants and the lakefront. Um, so it's a great city. But yeah, every city goes through some challenges every so often. Right. And so true. Look at New York. Um, are there pockets like in New York or, or boroughs like New York that are more appealing or hip, you know, to uh, the millennials? Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, always looking for, you know, you know, the new trendy area. Right. So, you know, um, but everyone loves, you know, you know, River North and the West Loop. Um, you know, that's where your your younger people tend to migrate in Lincoln Park. OK, okay so so let's go out to uh, Whitefish. How is uh, the winter this year? Did you have a lot of snow like uh, Aspen or Park City? No, we did not get that volume of snow, but we had great snow. What's awesome about our mountains is our snow is dry, so the pack lasts a lot longer. Um, but our mountain does have to close um, early April uh, because it's all leased land and for the wildlife and such. So they close it earlier as the bears and stuff come out. But um, no, we uh, we had great snow. It wasn't a brutal winter. Um, we had a super early summer. Uh, it's been in the 70s and 80s for the last couple of weeks. So it's been pretty phenomenal. Um, I think it's Jackson Hole where they're limited to the number of buildings they can be built because of the preserves of the surrounding area. 
Does whitefish have that issue? We well, there's only so much land, and to change the zoning um, to allow more density is quite difficult. So you know, it goes back to any of these resort areas. There is a you know shortage for affordable housing. Um, but you know, again, um, you know that we have so many so much public lands that uh, as far as opportunities for build um, up on the mountain or elsewhere is, you know, there's only so much land in Montana, that is for sure. Okay. Um, now that we're into summer, are there any uh, festivals happening, any music festivals, any art festivals? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Your fun button almost never goes off in Whitefish, that is for sure. So we have great music, you know, great, you know, other activities, the farmer's markets, we've got the Under the Big Sky coming, which is an amazing concert. Um, three-day concert uh, at a ranch and all the nightclubs or nightclubs, I should say the, the bars and stuff have live music at some point or another during the week and the weekends and, you know, got the theater, but yeah, there's always gallery nights. There's always something to do. So Whitefish is not just a, a place to go to the winter to ski. It's also, you could live there year round, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, we have Glacier National Park is our, you know, playground on our back door. It's 45 minutes away, plus loads and loads of mount mountain biking, hiking trails. We've also what makes us different from, say, Big Sky is we have our lakes, which you don't get so much in southern Montana. So, yeah, you know, boating, fishing, you know, paddleboarding, water skiing, wakeboarding. Uh, there's just so much to do. Golf and um yeah, there's just no limit to the opportunities to get outside and enjoy nature. That sounds fantastic. How's the inventory? Uh, still, it's it's loosening up a bit, but it's still tight, and especially in certain segments. I believe we've been holding pretty steady at about 175 houses um, for the last year. Uh, so it's been pretty consistent at that number and still low in yeah, it's it's still a bit of a challenge. I hear you. Um, how are the prices in the market? Are there any drops or are they rising? Um, I, you know, overall, we've seen a little bit of an adjustment. And I think that's mainly due to people being overly ambitious on their pricing. So you've seen those adjustments. Of course, we were, you know, just like any market, um, interest rates made things a bit more difficult. And then quite a few of your higher end buyers kind of waiting on the sidelines to see what's going to happen and maybe putting their money elsewhere or just wanting to hold on to it for a bit. So, um, so are the rates, the mortgage rates, you mentioned that, are they having uh, some effect on the market? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and kind of going back to that, I think Whitefish, we, you know, we did an adjustment leveled out, but, you know, again, there's only so much land to build here and still a line of people out the door who want their little slice of heaven. So I don't see us, you know, any sort of dramatic declines in the near future. Okay. Uh, what kind of advice do you give to first time home buyers coming into Whitefish? Um, get your piece of heaven. It's not going to be your dream, but get into the market and just remember, especially in a place like Whitefish, you don't spend a ton of time in your home. You're outside and you're doing and you're enjoying, you know, the outdoors and everything that, you know, the area has to offer. So you know, get your piece of heaven, something that's more than functional and 
we can take it from there. Sounds good. Um, is there a summer rental market there in Whitefish, or is it just mainly in the in the wintertime for the skiing? Oh, gosh, actually, summer is almost busier. Um, although winter is, you know, our mountain is incredible for skiing. So, you know, there is, it is a tight, 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 um, short-term rental market in the summer and the highlight of the winter for sure. So I tell anybody who's thinking about coming out book early, (laughs) way early, (laughs) including. Sounds good. If uh, people had more questions uh, to ask you about Chicago or Whitefish, Montana, how could they reach you, Debbie? Um, so you, they can try me phone wise at 773-406-1975 or 406-219-7683. Or my email address is D-M-A-U-E at Jameson.com or D-M-A-U-E at GlacierSIR.com. Eddie Malley of uh, Glacier Realty. It's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting out of the sunny village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3. If you'd like to hear this program again or any other podcast, go to WLIW.org slash radio slash real life. And if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me at John.Christopher at SIR.com. Thank you for your time. And remember, have an awesome journey. have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.